0: People never think about it, and it's so important. And the Word of God says that we need to saturate our
1: spiritual men with the Word of God. That's the food for the spiritual men.
2: Listen to his word. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live.
1: Two revs on TRE Talk Radio Europe. Yes, good morning. Welcome once again with myself, Pastor Howard, from the Ealing Family Fellowship down here on the Costa del Sol in Benalmadena, Madna. And you're welcome to join us this morning at 11 o'clock if you're around, or you can watch us online on Facebook, my um, Howard Coley 58 on Facebook. You can watch us live there, or you can catch the live service actually being broadcast or catch up on our website, which is elimfamilyfellowship.com. Anyway, it's great to be with you this Sunday morning. Thank you. It's always good to be with you. I've got a great uh, interview for you this morning. We're going to be talking to Thomas Fretwell, BA slash MA in theology. And uh, I know you're going to enjoy what he's talking about. He's written a new book, uh, which is entitled uh, Who Am I? Human Identity and the Gospel in a Confusing World world. So we're. Going, I know you're going to enjoy that. But before we get into that, we always like to start with some music. And we're going to do that today. This is David Phelps. And this guy's just got an incredible voice, a lovely high note towards the end. And this is talking about coming to God just as I am. David Phelps.
0: you understand Mm -hmm. I've tried so hard but I just can't change myself That's why I know I need
1: Well, right, that was David Phelps, part of the Gaither Group of Singers. And we're going to go over now and listen to my interview I did with uh, Thomas Fretwell. Thomas is living down in the southeast of England. He's actually the senior pastor in the local church where he's there, but he's also an associate tutor in theology at King's Evangelical Divinity School in the UK. And he's part of creation.com ministry. So let's go across and have a chat with Thomas. So, Thomas, uh, first of all, I want to say welcome to the programme and thank you so much for being with us. And you're down in the south of the UK at the moment.
3: I am, yeah. It's uh, fairly warm for us down here, but probably not that warm for you, for you over there. But, yeah, no, I'm really pleased to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: You're welcome. And, of course, you're part of the uh, Creation Ministries as well, which is a, a really important ministry. Can you tell me just a little bit about the ministry?
3: Yeah, sure. So Creation Ministries International is primarily actually a biblical authority ministry is how we like to call ourselves, because the message that we are are taking all over the the world as much as we can to all these churches is that, that the Bible is true and we must have it as the authority in our lives. And this impacts the way we think about a number of things. And obviously the creation context of that is one of those areas where the Bible speaks into that. So, we visit churches and we produce materials from our scientists and speakers, and we try and get that message out there. And we see this as being very important because logically it does connect to uh, the entire message of the Bible and, particularly, the gospel.
1: Mm. Absolutely. And of course, we've had quite a good relationship with uh, Philip Bell down there in the UK and also with creation.com. People can get information on that. And you have your own specialist area. We'll get to that in a moment because you've you've written a book which is entitled Human Identity and the Gospel in a Confusing World. I believe that's correct, isn't it?
3: Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that, that's the subtitle there. It's called Who Am I, Human Identity and the Gospel in a Confusing World. It's a bit of a mouthful, but uh, hopefully explains what the whole book is about in there.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, that's by yourself, Thomas Fretwell. People want to look that up while they're listening. But before we get into all of that, I just, I'm just i always interested how people become followers of Christ, because we live in a world mm-hmm. where it's not the easiest thing to fall over, is it? It's not necessarily no. right in front of us. So what happened for you?
3: So my, my story is, actually, I grew up in a family, six of us in our family, and we had no Christian influence, no Christian uh, background at all really we we were totally secular had never really thought about it I I never really met a Christian until I was in my uh, early 20s except maybe the RE teacher at school but Mm. so it was just not not in our lives at all but then gradually over a 10-year period the Lord started working on our family and and actually one by one all all of my family became Christian so my mum and my brother were first then there was a big long struggle for my dad and then after he became a Christian, my two sisters became Christians, and then following on slowly a year and a half or so behind was me eventually to, uh, becoming a Christian. And part of this was the fact that I got to a stage where I could no longer deny what had happened in my family. I, I saw evidence of, of transformation, change, and I also... Mm had been reading various things that had been left around the house. Uh, the conversation around the house was different. So I had encountered all of these things and I got to a point from my own investigation where I had to finally say, right, y- y- it's actually harder for you to keep coming up with excuses not to take this step now than it is just just to take it. And that, that's, that's how I became a Christian, really.
1: By seeing how people were living and the changing in their lives, and that's that's what's mm. supposed to happen to us. You said there that the only Christian you may have seen was the RE teacher at school, and sadly I don't know your RE teacher at school, so no comment on on them. But sadly we have a lot of people that are teaching religious education and don't actually believe, and that really doesn't help, does it? Because it becomes a uh, just a, a mental or a factual uh, time, and of course. From the world's point of view, a lot of the facts that are spoken about in the Bible, we just dismiss as not being true. So, what were you doing at the time? Yeah, you know, what was what was your secular work at the time? Because uh, you would be what mid twenties? talking about.
3: Yeah, so I was. Oh, well, I forget what I was doing then. But I, I, for basically, for my, I've been energy surveying before right. then. So I, I was I was going to people's houses and and surveying energy consumption and producing certificates for estate agents, amongst various other jobs that I had in my early twenties after. Uh, leaving university at that time but obviously my life was about to change in some very dramatic ways as I became a Christian and and the Lord redirected my energies to to study theology and I'm still studying theology as we go Mm. go through this even now and I'm now in pastoral ministry as well as as well as speaking for various uh, apologetic organizations and and doing things like that telling people um, about the Bible and the the gospel and numerous other things through writing and speaking and podcasting.
1: So when you saw your family's lives being changed and obviously heard what was being said, so you got that information, but I would imagine that the reality of their change was what got you interested to that point of thinking, I have to say yes. But have you since then with going to theology training and of becoming a pastor of course, not you've not just looked at what the outcome was, you've actually started to look at why.
3: Yeah, well actually the the two things were happening concurrently. As I was seeing on the one hand external realities of transformation Mm -hmm. in the people I knew and trusted, they also were putting resources into my hands that were very apologetic in nature, why we trust the Bible. My dad has a science background so he he was always very interested in the creation issue and the design argument so he introduced me to them at an early stage. So so I kind of was, was obviously had these two things going on, personal investigation as well as seeing the reality of transformation. And they came together wonderfully uh, at the right point in my life where, where they combined. And I, I knew this was true and I had to give my life to the gospel.
1: Mm. For me, I think that's really important because certainly uh, a lot of my coming to Christ was also involved in seeing some of those um, biblical uh, examples of, mm. of the facts that we see in the ground and such like. And I think that makes us stronger in our faith because science doesn't knock us off we actually have got a a reason for understanding. And have have you found that as as you've gone into pastorship, that your congregation also appreciate that?
3: Yeah, I mean, my my grounding, that that, that work that I did in those early years has really set me up for the rest of my future ministry, really, of uh, confidence in the word of God. Um, doesn't mean I I know everything about it and understand Mm -hmm. all of it. It's a lifetime pursuit, but it it is the authority in my life. The more I study, the more I see uh, how it interprets the world properly for us. I'm not in any way conflicted by prevailing science and and these subjects like that. In fact, since becoming a Christian, I've had much more of an interest to study science, to study history, to study all these related subjects that actually always come back to the Bible at some point because the Bible tells the true story of reality. So we should expect every discipline really at some point to be informed from, from the biblical worldview.
1: Do you feel it's a a shame then that a lot of times within church, people don't, are either not interested in that side of it or actually almost dismiss it? Because I remember a number of years back, I was in a a conference and there was one of your stands there. And of course, I was really encouraged to see that, um, talking about the biblical creation and what have you. But there was also another stand further down in the same place with Christians basically denying everything that the other stand said. And so does that get frustrating for you? Why do you think Christians have this blockage sometimes?
3: yeah i'll I'll be frank with you it it, it, i find it extremely frustrating it's always confused me because i came like i said from no christian background so i came in to the faith assuming that things like this would be accepted by every and all christians and it would be what you do study the bible learn learn theology apply it to your lives and have a real passion for for all of these areas but obviously as i as i grew and started meeting and exploring the wider church I, i actually became aware that actually there seemed to be a minority view to have this sort of interest and quite often you're actually fighting objections from within the church and that grieved grieved my heart then and it actually still grieves my heart now and a lot of what we do is trying to combat that attitude and, and, and show how important it is to apply a consistent worldview to every area of our lives. And, and this means being grounded in the word of God. And therefore, when we address the issues of the culture, when we are challenged from the culture, we have a firm foundation to stand and we can be confident that the word of God will do its work.
1: Mm. No, I, I totally agree with you. And that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm really encouraged and delighted that people like yourselves come on and explain some of those things. Because some, some of the Amen. information people have never even heard. And uh, they at least need to be able to hear that. So talking as as you were there about it explains what's going on in the world, this book that you've, you've brought out, and, and I sort of um, joked earlier on about, we were talking about the temperature where we were, and I said, well, it's cold, cold here, but I, I identify as being warm. And that really is a new phrase, isn't it, that people identify mm-hmm. as being something or another. Now, from a biblical point of view, let me just say something that I thought was really interesting, that... You said in the beginning of your book that um, on the uh, Ask Jeeves, the internet search, the main question, number one question that came up was what is the meaning of life? And that is really sad if the majority of people are looking for what is the meaning of life. And the second, which is almost quite a surprise in today's culture is, is there a God? So at least Mm. people are curious to know. So what is the meaning of life? Where do we get to from that? Why do people not understand the meaning of life?
3: So, I mean, that's a fascinating question. And and I'm still fascinated by that poll. um, Mm. One and two, what is the meaning of life and and is there a God? People almost seem to know intuitively that those two questions are connected. Mm. And this is why this whole subject of identity, many of the cultural battles that we see being played out in the schools and in the media in front of us, come back to this issue of identity and lurking behind the issue of identity is an authority issue. Where does the authority come from by which we shape and inform our lives? Now, historically in the West, it's been the Judeo-Christian worldview that has has formed much of our culture and scaffolding of Western civilization. However, as that has been jettisoned now, we are seeing a a vacuum and something will always come and fill that vacuum. And at the moment, it seems to be the ever-changing opinions of people and they have no foundation. They have no anchoring for their view of human identity. And therefore, like you mentioned, we're seeing just a huge flux of, of different ideas and opinions and, and this, these novel interpretations that you can sort of change halfway through your life and come back again. And all these different issues are being thrust upon people and they've got no grid for interpreting them. They've got Mm. no framework of beliefs that allow them to make sense of the claims that are being made. And this is a real big problem, which is why we are seeing this global identity crisis across the world. And unfortunately, particularly in the younger generation, Mm. and it's one of these issues that it's not just identity in a strict sense. There are many uh, issues that spring from that, like the one you mentioned there, what is the meaning of life? What is our purpose on this earth? Where do we get our values from, our ethical systems? How are they informed by what we believe it is to be human? And the real question is, how do we answer these questions? And in the book, I go through and obviously look at some different ways that people do that. And it's a fascinating study to do that. But make no mistake, I believe this is a foundational and fundamental issue to our culture. And we are seeing actually some devastating effects on our young people, because of this lack of foundation and authority in their lives.
1: Well, if we don't know who we are or what our identity is, then, then of course it opens up that uh, certainly today's culture, over here in the West in particular, this is where we're talking, um, that anybody can choose to be anything or anybody they want because, as you say, there's no actual foundation. What surprises me is, and people are entitled to believe what they want to believe, It's uh, that's not the sure. issue for me, but what, what I find is strange is if... That meant everybody was happy because they would found their identity. That would be fine. But in actual fact, it works the other way around, doesn't it? That people end up not knowing what they are even more so and getting themselves into real difficult situations. And it really surprises me how much the press and the TV sort of all look like they're all agreeing with everybody's identity. And I can't believe that every presenter actually agrees with everything that's being said.
3: No, it, 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 to be honest, it, it's tragic the way, the way that it almost seems as if the, the establishment is trying to please everyone and they're not seeing the devastating effect this is happening because it, even people eventually will see that all of these things can't simultaneously be true. Uh, let me just share with you a statistic that, that really shows you why this is such an important issue. There was a recent poll in the UK, I think it was to end of 2020, 89% of young people, that's 89%, that's a massive figure, Believe that their life has no meaning or purpose. 89% of young people—that this is the crisis that we yeah. have in our culture right now—believe their lives have no meaning and no purpose. And then, if you read through this report, you'll find out another statistic that I believe explains this. It, it, for the same group, it was—I think it was 16 to 25 was the age bracket where this well, the statistic came from. Only one percent of that same group identified as belonging to the church. Wow. Now think about those Ask Jeeves things how linked they were meaning in life and transcendent creator and yet we see when there is no one having any sort of concept of spirituality or belonging to a church 89% of them believe their life has no meaning or purpose and this has led to really the rise in depression amongst young people is skyrocketing right now. It's, I mean, it's absolutely off the charts. Mental health issues are skyrocketing. A, a number of other issues are playing into this, obviously. But but I do believe not knowing who you are, where you came from, what your purpose in life is, is adding to this. That You can never have that, that peace that the Lord promises you. And like I said, where do you go? How do you interpret the world when a million different claims are being thrust at you from all the different information sources that we have available now? And it's too confusing and people are almost imploding with this weight of information. It's tragic.
1: Hmm. No, that's that's what I meant, that it wasn't... Well, it's not as if everybody's happy with what they choose. There's mm, a lot of no, people of that are, uh, are frustrated and, and, and depressed by it. And, and I suppose that's why we have so many programmes, which which are good, where people look into their past to see where they've come from historically and what have you. And also people who perhaps have been adopted like to look back at their families. And all of that's perfectly understandable. Um, but I suppose if... That percentage of young people have no reason for being alive, then people have to make a reason, don't they? And our popular culture today is everybody wants to be famous for a while. Of course, that doesn't actually enter it, does it? So does that happen? Do people have to come up with some, some purpose?
3: Yeah, and this is the term I like to use when speaking on this subject, is the global identity crisis. And if you look around the world, obviously, In universities and and academic institutions, people have been asking the question, what does it mean to be human from age immemorial, really, for a long time. But as you look around the world of popular culture, you'll see that the the world has become very uh, tribalist. Uh, People are scrambling around looking for some identity to hang their hat on. A lot of people do it with their careers, with their profession. People do it with their their gender groups. People do it with their orientation. People do it with association with different clubs, anything. The problem with all of these things is they're not fixed. Mm. They're ever-changing in the world, and therefore it offers no stability, really. And it also offers the chance of being rejected by this group, and therefore that leads to a whole another set of problems. So when you don't have that foundation, and you don't have that absolute understanding of what it means to be human and what the, the reason for being on this planet is, you have to scramble around yourself trying to find the best answer that, that brings you security or happiness. And as we are seeing, many people are unable to do that. Mm-hmm. The answers are conflicting. The answers contradict each other. The answers are not bringing any lasting peace for a lot of people. And this is a real problem.
1: Well, we find that uh, when you look at some people who have uh, become famous or, or or very wealthy, it doesn't actually answer the inside problem or, or difficulty they have. And I think this idea of uh, what is my purpose, my purpose is my job, for example, and that type of thing, that really does explain a little bit why when people retire, men who have been, I am a this from a work point of view, when they retire, suddenly aren't anymore. And so everything they built there their purpose on has disappeared. And I think that's why many people, older men in particular, find uh, retirement very difficult and and don't always live that long.
3: Mm, Yeah, the the, the identity crisis can happen at any age when you suddenly realise, when when the rug is pulled from under you and you realise these things that you've invested in are not actually found out, they're not absolute in your life. So Mm. uh, let me give you another example here that just plays into what you were saying there. The, The youngest lottery winner in the UK was a young girl called Jane Parks. I think she was either 17 or 18 when she, when she won uh, the, the lottery. And it became famous because she was in the press trying to sue Camelot for ruining her life. Mm-hmm. Now, people look at this and laugh, but mm-hmm. one very revealing statement for me illustrated exactly what you're saying there. She was interviewed by a newspaper and she said this, people look at me and think, oh, I wish I had her lifestyle, I wish I had her money but they don't realize the extent of my stress. I have material things, but apart from that, my life is empty. What is my purpose in life? Mm. And it was so sad to watch because this was a young girl almost crying out to these reporters who had no interest in helping her answer that question. It was just a scoop, you know. But there she is, all this money that she thought would make her happy, crying out, what is my purpose in life? Mankind is made for something more. And even when we don't have it, we almost have this intuition that we know something is missing in our life. And you can see the devastating effect that has. And this is, again, where the church can step in here, Mm. because the answer that we have is beyond anything else that anyone can offer.
1: Well, just before we go to the break, I'm just going to ask you this, if there is no creator God, if all of that is just a fairy tale and just something that we've made up to give ourselves a purpose, um, which of course I don't believe is the case, and we'll look at that in the second half, but if that was the case, then does it matter that we've got no purpose? If we literally are just come into the world and disappear and nothing else happens, does it matter that we have no purpose? Is frustration just part of daily life and that's normal?
3: Well, this is the big problem, isn't it? If you're speaking to a, to a naturalist or someone who's a hard-nosed atheist, although they do like to come up with theories that can allow them to have some sort of value system, they suffer from a problem of being consistent within their own worldview. Because like you say, if they, if they take their worldview to its logical conclusion... These things shouldn't matter ultimately we're just a speck a drop in the ocean aren't we a a cosmic stardust and you know we live we die and we turn back to dust again and there's no no rhyme or reason to these things as richard dawkins famously said we just dance to our dna Mm. these concepts of good and bad and right and wrong and meaning and purpose are are all actually borrowed from the christian worldview And, and the consistent atheist should say well like nietzsche did he said we should get rid of these terms altogether but, of course, that's further than many people are willing to go. Maybe we'll explore that a bit more in the second mm. half. Mm.
1: No, it makes it, it makes it for a very interesting uh, uh, question for ourselves as well, because we all struggle to fit in. We all struggle to find where we are. And certainly from your role as a pastor and mine as a pastor, uh, we have many people who may come to us with all sorts of problems, difficulties, emotional, whatever they might be. Uh, and really, you can't answer that without actually looking at who God says they are.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, that's true.
1: So let's take a short break and we'll come straight back and just find out what God says our purpose is. Amen. The Two Revs on TRE Talk Radio Europe.
2: The Two Revs
1: on TRE Talk Radio Europe. Well, Thomas, I think we've had an interesting conversation in the first half, and we're really looking at uh, people not knowing what their purpose is. And we're saying that from a biblical point of view, it does give us a purpose. And without any purpose, we're seeing in the world people very frustrated, um, very emotionally uh, crippled in some ways. And, and as you say, people thinking, I've got no idea why I'm here. So you've written this book looking at this whole point. And what made, what made you get to the point of thinking, I want to write this down? It must have really been impacting you from around what you were seeing.
3: Yeah. So so actually the the main reason that that the idea of this book began in my time doing youth ministry, which I love uh, doing youth ministry. And I, I did that a lot before I was a senior pastor. And I was speaking to teenagers and a lot of the questions, the problems that they were bringing from the world, I noticed that they were all revolving around a common theme and that that common theme was identity issues and everything that stemmed from that meaning purpose and value and I was starting to hear some of the responses that they were being given from the world and just noticed how empty they were. They were not fulfilling the desires of their heart and they were not giving them a solid foundation to answer these questions. So that's when the idea of this book began. I knew that I really needed to have a a biblical option for people to present the biblical answers to people that you could give and they could understand it. And that was the idea of the book. and, And that's why I wrote it. And hopefully it's fulfilling that need.
1: Hmm. Well, what what difference do you think that makes? What is our what is our Christian worldview that that brings in who we are as human beings? Because from a creation point of view, sorry, from a, an evolutionary point of view, we're no different to anything else that's living on the planet, wandering about. But from a, a Christian biblical point of view, the difference is is huge, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it couldn't be further apart, really, from, from the counterpart of, of, of naturalism. The, the first thing that we really need to realize is that the biblical view of humanity is is wonderful in many ways. That specific teaching, the biblical teaching of humanity that we find right in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, the, the creation in the image of God, where it says he made them male and female, created them in the image of God. That is foundationally one of the most important verses that has really echoed throughout history and throughout time. Historically, if you, if you study uh, Western law or, or natural philosophy, you'll find that that view that mankind is invested with inherent dignity worth and value stems from nowhere else except Genesis 1 and 27 in first in in the jewish culture before and then later in the christian culture also and it stands in stark contrast to the ancient near east to the the view of humanity uh, across the roman empire and in many different ways where they had different caste systems they had slavery and they had all these different things that were basically abolished as the view of genesis 126 spread across the earth it, it is just so foundational and the fact that it does invest everyone regardless of status or of culture or of race or of anything with the same and equal value because we are made in the imagio Dei, in the image of God. It's, it couldn't be more important. And, a, and actually that's one of the reasons why I find it so troubling that in today's culture, we, we've recently had some court cases in the UK where, where the judges have specifically mentioned that using Genesis 1 is actually against human rights now. And that's just undoing 2000 years of Western civilization and, and we don't know where that's going to lead well, I, I could take a guess at where that's going to lead but we need to think much more carefully about these things before we do it but yeah the, the biblical view of humanity is one that says everyone is created in the image of god now it doesn't stop there now that's a blanket statement of all of humanity mm. it also goes on to explain why humanity is the way it is because you can look around the earth and you can find a lot of things that are, are pretty distressing about the way humans treat each other about and and that is also explained by the bible in genesis 1 you have the creation in the image of god but then in genesis 3 we have this the entrance of sin and death and suffering of what we call the fall happens in genesis 3 so all of these things that you look around the world and you see are explained within the first 11 chapters of genesis
1: mm.
3: and therefore that makes it a very good place to start your investigation
1: mm. i think it does indeed and uh if we have a purpose, uh, if if what we read is correct, and of course I believe it is correct, what is our purpose? Why did God create us in the first place? So you're quite right. We've made a mistake. We, we, we've sinned. We've fallen out of favour. We've made a mess of it. And we can see lots of things that are done inhumanly from one side to another. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things I think that, that people tend to forget, uh, especially over this last number of years where we've been talking about you, you brought up slavery and things like that, is that, the majority of people that seem to put an end to that were people who had a Christian belief. That's why they actually did it. And sure. yet and yet, quite often that is just overlooked in the news. It's just any, any positiveness from a Christian input is ignored. And uh, maybe you can tell me why you think that would be the case.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's unfortunately part of it is just ignorance of our, of our heritage in, in many ways because we, we live in such a secular age now where any talk of God, the Bible, is, is immediately uh, rubbished that it's been pushed out of the public sphere it's told you have to keep that that's your private life your private faith is great but christianity cannot be a private faith it's not it was never was never will be it's not and it was not supposed yeah. to be it, it's the most public of all faiths and therefore it should impact every area of our lives and that includes our, our laws and our societies and what we're seeing now with this Push to make sure that the Bible is not talked about. We will reap the consequences of that. We still have the vestiges of, of laws and reforms that were done by Christians, mainly motivated by verses like Genesis one twenty six, combined with the, the teachings of our Lord of Jesus at, this, mm-hmm. at the same time. But now, with that gone, we are living on the inertia of our Christian past. But if you chop off the root the tree's going to fall at some point and you won't get the fruit and, and i think we will reap that at some point in this culture unless we can cause uh, a return firstly in the church mm. to understanding the authority of the bible and i believe these things do have to happen in the church first so whilst we are still fighting against the church to try and reclaim biblical authority i doubt we'll see much in the wider culture so, and, that, and that's one of the reasons why, why we exist
1: yeah, no, that's uh, I, I agree with you on that. And I think uh, from working with youth and, and yourself, as you say, and working with youth there, this this having no idea of what our purpose is is really tragic all the way through. And even people within church can still have that same situation of wondering who am I, what's it all about, and I'm not good enough. Even if they have a biblical understanding, they think I'm not good enough mm-hmm. and God wouldn't do this, all, all of those type of things that I'm sure you're aware of. And if the church doesn't know that, then, then how is somebody else going to know that? So if you're ministering to your people, that uh, your young people who say, well, I don't know what our purpose is, going back to the original uh, genesis of saying what we're there for, what would you say to them? Why did God put man on this planet?
3: Yeah, and, th- and that's a good issue, and we need to spend some time dealing with that. And, and one of the ways you can um, begin to answer this question, it's a massive issue, obviously, mm-hmm. is looking at the character of God now, people often caricature God as a God of judgment and he's angry at sin and all these depictions that we see in popular culture of God. And they're usually half-truths, you know, but they never explain it fully. The primary reason that God wanted to create mankind, and you find this all throughout the Bible, is so that he could dwell with his creation. He could dwell with them. And the word is a very intimate word. And you find that word carried throughout all of the Bible. A God that wants to come down and dwell. He wanted to come down to Israel. He came into the tabernacle. He came to the burning bush. He came down to the temple to dwell. And he came ultimately... In the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in Jesus Christ. God wants to dwell with His people. He wants to have intimate fellowship, connection with them because He loves them. That is why we were created. Now, we were sev- se- separated from God through our sin, and therefore, much of the history of mankind is watching how God started this rescue mission where he was going to start redeeming and dealing with those problems that is the history of mankind but Mm. ultimately it's for that same purpose so that ultimately when you get to the end of the bible the book of revelation once again you see god dwelling in the midst of his people Mm. that is the god who that we have so when a young person says what is my purpose in life you were created to be in relationship with your creator And that is a transcendent purpose that no one can take away from you. It doesn't matter whether you've come from really bad backgrounds, you've had a hard life, you you know full well that this world is broken. That is something that was given to you by the Lord. And this is, again, where the gospel speaks very powerfully Mm. because we need the gospel to in order to reconnect people to their, their relationship with the father through the son and this is why we need to speak into these issues with this clarity and this truth but ultimately you have the atheist saying there's no meaning to life or people you know they don't they can't have a meaning in the same way that we can whereas we can tell them the specific meaning a transcendent purpose that is reliant upon the creator god and we can also show them how to enter into that relationship and then the story doesn't stop there you see once once you enter that relationship you are called to a much higher purpose you are said to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ that means you are now his representative you are now his missionary on this earth you are uh, a stranger and an alien to this broken world now and you are redeemed and you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven there's nothing that can compare
1: with that I absolutely agree with that. And uh, that's what we try and teach as well for people to 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 grasp, because it's not about Mm -hmm. what we do. It's about who we are. And if we look at who we are from our natural point of view, we all have difficulties. We've got broken families. There's things we don't know what's all sorts of things that are there. But if we know who we are from what God says who we are, uh, it really helps us to sort of not feel good about ourselves, I quite know how to say it without sounding proud, and I don't mean that, but as you said, he wants to dwell with his people, and he still dwells with his people by the power of his Holy Spirit, Mm. and as we realise that, it says that he's got gifts for us, he's got plans for us to do things that were created before the beginning of time, So, so you and I have been placed on this planet to know our God, and to do whatever it is he's called us to do, which he planned before the beginning of creation, which is just phenomenal, if that's not a good purpose, I don't know, and if if there is no purpose to life and I'm just hanging about, then if I'm going to be hanging about with my God and it's no fun doing that, I'm going to be doing that for eternity. (laughs) So I'm going to be frustrated and down for eternity. So, but being with God is not like that, is it? It's challenging. It's exciting. But isn't it sad that so many people uh, struggle with their self-identity, even as Christians, that God couldn't actually love them that much. It's okay for you and me and other people, but... Not for me. I sneaked in the back door because I knew a Christian when we went in church sort of thing. Mm. So how do you handle that?
3: Yeah, so, I mean, again, I think it's a, a symptom of our culture where we are taught to be so inward looking. Everything is about self. Everything is about analysing our problems, focusing on uh, the things that the world brings to us. And I'm not saying we can necessarily escape that, but you'll notice the view of the Bible is not often given we're not told to look at those things we're told to look and fix our eyes on jesus mm. so as christians we have a higher purpose and although we still live in a world that is broken and we experience all the brokenness of this world it doesn't ultimately It's not going to influence us for eternity like that because we are citizens of another kingdom. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling with us, which is our down payment that we will live in that kingdom with Christ when he comes. And this is a very fulfilling life. There is, you know, you were struggling for the words there a minute ago. I I think it's, it's contentment in purpose. Mm, And and that is very important. You know, people need purpose in life, which is why we were seeing those statistics I shared earlier, um, the the rapid rise in mental health and and the nine out of 10 young people that don't believe they have any purpose. The Christian worldview completely blows that out the water. It doesn't say you're going to have an easy life and it doesn't say everything down here is going to be rosy. But what it does say is that you are eternally secure in the one who created this world. And therefore, you have a transcendent purpose that is not reliant on the different waves of culture and the different ideologies that sweep through this world. It is fixed in Christ Jesus. And this is why it's so important to help people to be able to turn away from looking at themselves, looking at at their problems and to look at Jesus. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, he is the one that we want to, to gaze at. He, we, we gaze on him in all his glory uh, for all eternity. And this is one of the wonderful things of, of the Christian message. Mm-hmm.
1: So as we're looking at, at ourselves, uh, everybody is different, of course. We all will be different in our personalities and various things like that. But instead of trying to struggle to find who we are, to who do I identify as? Do I identify as male or female? Am I a builder? Am I a musician? All of those things. I'm am, am a star. Do people love me? All of those things that we try to secularly to identify as become secondary because if we identify actually i'm a child of god with a purpose and a relationship then those other things slowly come into place don't they because they don't become the whole who we are they're just what we're going through
3: no the, the way i always like to, to think of it is if you have to two circles, one small and then a bigger one around the outside. So you have those things that should be central on that first circle. And then you have the things of life that are on the peripheral. And that doesn't mean they're unimportant. It doesn't mean that they're, they're not good things to pursue and invest time in like your careers and your job and your family and all these issues. However, if you get that wrong, and you put them in the center circle, you, you make them the center of your life and then whatever fills the second, it's never gonna be fully satisfying because it's not supposed to be like that. Firstly, it's supposed to be your identity with Jesus Christ, that very reason for which you were created to be in restored relationship with the creator. That should be in the center and then everything else can flow around the peripheral and you get a, lo- a, lo- a lovely mixing of the two when you do that. And when you fully explore the identity that we are given through Jesus Christ, it's not just now that we are um, restored. We have to explain to people what that means. We're redeemed. That means we're taken from, from being slaves to this world, to sin, to brokenness, and we're redeemed into the kingdom of heaven. We're also adopted. This this is a massive and wonderful teaching of the Christian mm-hmm. faith, the adoption as sons of God. And it speaks really loudly to a culture where you have a family breakdown and much bad displays of what mother and father should do the fact that you're adopted by the heavenly father is an amazing teaching of the christian faith and it impacts your identity because you you are no longer you know you join a new family when you're adopted don't you and this is one of the wonderful teachings of the gospel redeemed adopted it also says that we're loved beyond all measure we're restored relationship we're forgiven and ultimately like i mentioned we are also called We're called to a purpose, like you said earlier. Everyone knows Ephesians 2, verse 8, we're saved by grace through faith. But then not many people are familiar with verse 9 that goes on to say that we were saved for good works that God had created for us. Therefore, it's not just sitting on a cloud and marveling at our salvation. That's just a horrible caricature of the Christian faith. Mm. It's one where we are given all those benefits of relationship, and then the Lord has things for us to do. Therefore, it doesn't matter whether we get fired from our jobs or we have bad families or anything like that. The Lord has things for you to do. You have an eternal purpose and calling given to you. That is part of your identity as a Christian, and it can never be taken.
1: No, that's absolutely wonderful. And we've been going through with our group, we've got an Abundant Life group, and we've been going through who are we in Christ and looking at some of Mm. those things. And I think uh, you just brought up adoption there, and that's something that we talk about a lot. We're adopted into the family. Mm. And I think it's interesting to remember that there's bound to be people listening today who have been adopted. And adoption in our world is not always necessarily the best thing. It can work well. It can not work well. People have different experiences of it. But we tend to think of adoption, I think, generally speaking, as an add-on to the family. But in Roman times, if somebody was adopted, they adopted them to be head of the family for the future and got everything that uh, a natural son would have. So they weren't adopted just because somebody was in need, they were adopted because the the family head needed somebody to continue the the headship of that family. And so they adopted somebody in, which is so much more powerful than what we would think of adoption. And of course... uh, absolutely. That's what God has done to us. And Jesus said what we, what he has is ours. And it's phenomenal when you think about it.
3: Yeah, and that, that's, yeah, you, you hit on a good point there. Obviously, contextually and culturally, it's the Roman background of adoption that's informing Paul's use of those adoption passages. But yeah, like you said, adopted as equal sons. And it was the inheritance rights that were the important bit about that. And and that's why we also see that amazing verse said to all of us as Christians, that we become co-heirs with the son with christ co-heirs mm. with christ we can't even really imagine the glories of what of what that means and the privilege that god has given to us that none of us do deserve through his grace but it again highlights that point that we said earlier god is a god that loves his people wants to dwell with them and wants to have the world that he originally created in that way uh that he, that he can have that communion and, and that is the point that's why we have the spirit uh, dwelling us now and and that's one of the larger views of the Christian worldview and it's mm. beautiful mm.
1: I think it's a shame that sometimes even people in church aren't aware of the depth of what God has actually done for us in that in the way that we're talking but when you're sharing that with some of the young people who have perhaps struggled how easily do they accept that identity in Christ
3: I think it's two, two issues it's hard because you, you can lay down facts and truths in front of people but yet quite often there's an emotional barrier that that has to be broken down before they receive that like Mm. some people are not geared to academic study and some people are coming from the world where they have experienced things that that maybe i never have Mm. and it's it's hurt them and impacted them in ways i can't understand so there's that element where we we don't compromise the truth though we also but we have to think of a way where we can present this truth in a way that represents the Father's heart in a loving way. This is the pastoral ministry that that we have to have. And sometimes that means that it's actually a it's a long term thing. You're not going to come up with one quick argument, one quick sentence. That's going to I can't just quote Genesis 127 and say, look, you've got all this. <laughs> yeah. You have to you you bear each other's burdens. You have you have to come alongside. You have to start the healing process, the restoration process. Christ will be there with them as you go through that. And it can be, as it says, and it transformed them by the renewing of their minds. This is a process of sanctification. So there's no easy solution to it because the world is so broken uh, and people come from all these different backgrounds but obviously the word of God is living and active it's powerful speak it into people's lives trust it to do its work come alongside them intercede with them for prayer that's so significant and just watch the Lord work in their lives Mm.
1: I think that's brought us around nicely to where we started and that is that for Mm -hmm. those of us that are understanding what we're talking about to some depth at least it's our job certainly as pastors but as people in the church in general to show that concern to show that love to show that care and our lives should change just as your family's lives changed and you saw the Mm -hmm. difference but also they gave you information as well at the same time uh, you know uh, written information whatever but so it wasn't just a matter of seeing somebody's life change it was a combination of reading the word and seeing the effect Mm -hmm. it had on somebody and for you and i as pastors and many others in the church we need to be changing and showing that love, showing that concern that God has for the people, but also showing them where it is in the, in the written word. And that is really a challenge for you and me, isn't
3: it? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And I think as you study the Old Testament, you'll always notice when God was bringing his indictments against the nation of Israel, it was to the leaders that he first spoke mm. and he put the charge at their feet. You are responsible for my people's lack of knowledge. You're responsible for leading the people astray, And this is a serious thing that Linus White says, don't don't be a teacher lightly in the mm. New Testament, doesn't it? Uh, and it is our responsibility, but it's also our privilege being able to minister the word of God to people and, and see his work and his word work in their lives. So it's a twofold thing, but yeah, it, it's our responsibility. And I, I think in some ways, the church needs to to do better on some of these issues. You know, We've been a little late to the party and the culture almost just jumped up at us with all these cultural issues of gender and identity and and we almost were not uh, expecting them to happen. We'd been too comfortable in our evangelical world perhaps for too long and we hadn't had such serious challenges uh, to our worldview but now they have and the church has has had to do some real thinking and it's my prayer that the church will step up and we'll see a, a back to the Bible movement.
1: Mm-hmm. No, so would you say, just as we conclude then it's not the church's job to um come against people's identities. It's the Church's job to tell them who their identity is in Christ.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to frame because every situation, and every person you meet is going to be mm. different, unique, have their own backstory, so uh, uh, there's going to be a lot of listening and a lot of understanding involved, but the message that we have is the same to all people. The truth is eternal, that the, the word of the word of God will do its work. And it, it, the, the message of salvation is offered freely to all people. He bids all of them come to drink freely from the water of life. So we take that to the whole world.
1: So tell me again, where can people get the book? Just tell us again how people so, get a hold of it. So book.
3: Be, the best place to get the book is actually on creation.com's web store that's the best place because obviously you support the ministry when you buy it through creation.com so you can go to their web store and get the book there
1: okay well thomas thank you so much. thomas fretwell uh, i've enjoyed talking with you we do have an identity we have an identity that goes beyond our life today it started before eternity and will continue into eternity because we are god's children and he wants to be with us
3: amen thank you for having me
1: Well, there we go. That was me talking with Thomas Fretwell, B.A., M.A. in theology uh, a little earlier in the week. And I hope you enjoyed that conversation as we all need to know who are we, what we're here for. And it's only in the Bible that we can see we have a purpose, which is absolutely incredibly fulfilling. Anyway, thank you for being with us this morning. And again, you can join us at 11 o'clock either online or in person in Benelmadner or on my Facebook page or on the website at info, uh, sorry, at uh, elinfamilyfellowship.com. But we're going to continue now and conclude this morning's programme with a great song by Casting Crowns. And this really does ask the question, who am I that God would give me a purpose?
2: But because of what you've done, not because of what I've done, but because of who because of who I am, but because of what you've done, not because of what I've done, but because of who